0: Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're continuing our study of Paul's letter to Timothy. And, of course, he's given instructions to Timothy concerning how believers are to conduct themselves in the body of Christ. Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus, in that city, in the church. And he's given him information not only about himself, but information about the local church. And we saw that last time Paul gave some instructions concerning, if you remember the last part, about women and the dress and teaching and character. Well, this morning he does something else. He turns to the men and he gets specific because he's going to talk about the area of leadership, leadership. In fact, he gives characteristics of men who are to be in the places of leadership in the local body. We saw last time that men are to be leaders both in the home and in the church. And as we look at leadership in the local church, for the next several weeks, next several lessons, we're going to look at the two offices of the church, the elders and the deacons. And as we think about these offices, let me just raise some questions to think about. Who are the men that are supposed to be in these positions? What are they to be like? What are they to do? It's an important passage, and so here's some things I want us to do. Number one, we want to know the characteristics of those in leadership. And number two, we want to realize that these characteristics are really the marks of a mature believer. Our goal is to be like Christ. Our goal is to grow and mature. I and mean, as we look at our lives and as we look at the characteristics that are found in chapter 3, whether you're a man, man or a woman, we say, I want to be a mature person. I want to have those characteristics in my life. And so that's the good thing. As we study it, we'll look through those kind of things. We'll see our strengths and weaknesses. And the goal is to become mature believers. And so we want to gain from this passage. And we're just going to really just start on it today. And we've got a lot of things we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Well, I went to Dallas Seminary. Most of you know that. And there they were some great Great years of my life and one of the highlights really was chapel see chapel was something new to me i remember i went to dallas and, I, and they said put up something about chapel and i said to a friend what exactly is chapel and he said well here's what they do is every day about you know you go into there for about an hour and there's some singing and then they have a speaker and so i thought "Oh, that's great and over the years i was at dallas seminary i was there for four years i had the privilege of hearing some really outstanding communicators of the word of god john walvard was there charles ryrie chuck swindoll but there was one man That every time he was scheduled to speak, when people said, oh, he's going to be speaking at chapel, it was completely full. In fact, it was standing room only. In fact, sometimes you had a class. If you had a class before chapel, if you really wanted to go to chapel that day, you might have to skip your class and go to chapel early. Because if you went to your class, it would already be full by the time you got there. That speaker, his name was Howard Hendricks. He's one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever known. He always challenged us. He gave us truth. It was clear and simple and, as I said, very challenging. His desire was to produce men and women and his goal, you know, to help them grow. And, but he wanted to see leaders in the church. I remember he began a message one day. I never forgot it. He said it this way. He always was a little dramatic sometimes the way he said things. He said, the church is screaming for leaders. Not bosses, not fundraisers, not entertainers, not businessmen, but leaders. And without leadership, the church has no direction. He loved to speak on leadership. He loved to teach about that sort of thing. One of his books, uh, uh, Iron Sharpens Iron, is a great book because it deals with mentoring, but it's the idea of leadership as well. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we are gonna be looking at the passage in 1 Timothy. As you know, we go verse by verse, passage by passage. We finally got through some of the hard stuff. And now this next part is not very easy in the sense, but it's, there's a lot of great truths there. We're going to be looking at the passages where Paul talks about the characteristics of men who are to be in leadership in the church. We saw last time that men ought to be the leaders. They are to take the leadership, not only in the home, but in the church as well. And 1 Timothy 3 deals with those areas. In fact, I want to break it down for you this way. In verses 1 through 7, talks about the office of the elders. And then in verses, 3 through, uh, verses 8 through 13, talks about the office of deacons. And we're going to see that in the, just the next couple of weeks. Now, here's what I want you to do. As we look at this, there are five things we're going to talk about. Let me show you what they are. Number one, we're going to talk about what is leadership. We're going to get a little background, but before we, before we get exactly into verse by verse and going through all the stuff, we're going to talk about what is leadership. We're going to talk about the need for leadership in the body. The third thing we'll do is we'll talk about the two offices of leadership, which is elders and deacons. Then we'll actually get into the characteristics of leaders, and we'll begin with the elders and then with the deacons, and then we'll make application. Now, this morning, we're going to look at, you know, number one, what's leadership? Number two, leadership in the body. We'll actually get into the two offices of leadership, but we'll just barely get started into the characteristics of the elders and how that all fits together there's a lot there and and then of course we'll make application it'll probably take us a couple of weeks next week we'll finish everything with elders that we get to that everything with deacons and we'll tie all that together i think it's very important that we know this stuff so that we can understand what does god want us to do so let's start with this let's start with the very first question what exactly is leadership and there's a lot of definitions, a lot of views. A lot of people say, well, leadership is having people follow you and all that kind of things. But well, we need to remember this, that an incident in the life of Jesus Christ, we get an idea of, of, of leadership and what he says. Jesus and his men, this is toward the end of his ministry, we're heading toward Jerusalem. There arose a dispute among the twelve. That's the men what was the cause of the conflict? Well, they began to argue over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So they had an idea that Jesus was going to come as the king, and he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. And they figured as Jesus is the king ruling the earth, there would be, need to be somebody on his right and somebody on his left. And they were beginning to argue on which one would be on the right and on the left. And so the issue is, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to have that position? It even tells in this passage, in a passage in just a second I'll tell you about, that a mother... A mother of, of two of the guys, the mother of James and John, came up to Jesus and basically said, I've got two good Jewish boys here. When the time comes, I want one on the right and one on the left. And when she said that, the other guys heard it. And they all began to argue over, wait a minute, wait a minute, how could they be on the right and the left? Why can't I be on the right and the left? And so there was anger and disputing. And listen to this. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. In fact, don't turn there. I just want to read it to you. In Matthew chapter 20, here's what we find. It actually talks about uh, the mother of, of the sons of, you know, James and John came up and they asked all these questions and, and that the, the others became indignant when they heard what was going on. So here's what Jesus does. In verse 25 of Matthew 20, Jesus says this But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. Now, what Jesus said is this. That in the world, the person that's going to be a leader is sort of the boss. The boss says, hey, 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 I'm in charge here. I'll tell people what to do. You go over there. You go over there. You sit down over here. That's what the leader does. The leader's in charge. I tell people what to do. Jesus said, that's the way it is sort of in the world that you say this and you say this. But he said, it's not that way among you. For whoever wishes to become great... Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Jesus says this, greatness is servanthood. You want to be great for God? you got to be a servant. You want to be a leader for God? got to be a servant. To be great in the kingdom is to be a leader, to use the gifts, the talents, and abilities, the, the, the possession, the time, everything, to serve God and to serve others. And then he goes on in this same passage, and gives the greatest example of servant leadership, and that is himself, because he served and died for us. It goes on to say, Jesus said, For just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So simply put, leadership, if we go to the next slide, I think leadership is servanthood. That's what it is. It's different than what the world says. If you want to be a leader for Jesus Christ, if you want to be, if you're as a man and you say, I want to be in a leadership someday in a, in a church, it, you've got to be a servant. As we think about it, we realize that the local church has got to be thinking about leadership because spiritual growth, direction, messages, all ministry, it all goes back to leadership. People don't always realize that. But let me tell you, if leadership in a local church is, is doing good, they're growing as believers, they're making an impact that way, the church is going to function and going to do well. If the leadership is not doing well, if the leadership are not men who are on fire, they're not growing, the church is going to flounder. Okay? And so leadership is the key. And as we study these passages, we want to, what do we look for? What, 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 how, would, how would we know a person who's supposed to be a leader? So, anyway, as we are looking at this, uh, we'll see how that ties together. Now, the second question is this. Let's realize the need for leadership in the body. It's very powerful. I just made that statement about the church will flounder. Leadership in the body sets the direction for the ministry. In First Timothy chapter 3, where you are, verse 14, look what Paul says. I am writing these things to you, talking about leaders, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed... I write so that you will know how you, one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the Church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth paul says listen i, I don 't know if i 'm going to get there or not, but if i 'm delayed, you must know how to conduct yourself in the church, in the body of Christ, how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, household of God, which is the local church. How are things to be done, How are they to be carried out what 's the goal, the functions, the structures? The leadership sets all of that and sets the direction. Our goal at Countryside is, and you've heard me say this many times, is that God would continue to raise up godly men to take places of leadership in a local church, in this local church. And uh, as as we look at this, we'll see that there's there's two offices, there's elders and deacons. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, and I'll give you everything. But what what do leaders do? If we have leaders in a local church, what do they do? Well, there's several things, but let me give you the first one. The first one is they set the example. They set the example. 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about that the men must be example to the flock in their character, in their actions. They must be above reproach when people see them. In fact, they should be in such a way that people can see them, that they look at their lives and they say, that guy's a leader in that church. That's the kind of person I want to be like. They're to be examples for the rest of the flock. That's how he puts it. First Peter five, Paul says that you be. I mean, Peter says you to be shepherd of the flock as examples. There's a second thing they do, and they set the direction. They set the direction of the church. Where's the church going? What's the strengths and weaknesses? A church, a local church, can't do every ministry. They have to decide what things to do. In fact, in, the, in a church, the leadership helps set what we call the purpose, the plan, and the process. At Countryside, we have a purpose. Our leaders, we our purpose is to make disciples. Matthew twenty-eight. Our plan is, is Ephesians four twelve, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, build at the body of Christ. Our process is to go from big to small to serving. That's how it functions. And our leadership's role is to to, to help this purpose, this plan, and this process to carry out. They help set the direction. There's the third thing. There's the third thing they do, and they lead by doing the ministry. Do you know in some churches, the elders or deacons, they're an advisory board. That's not what they're supposed to be. They're not sitting there going... We'll tell you what we think ought to be done. No. The elders and deacons, the leaders in a local church, are doing the ministry. They lead by doing the ministry. That's the pattern. They use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given them to do ministry. And all ministry starts with those in leadership. And as I said a while ago, if the leaders are not using the gifts, talents, and abilities and affecting people in the body, the whole rest of the body will suffer. If the leaders are godly men using their gifts, talents, and abilities, the whole body will prosper. That's the way it is. And then there's the last part, and that is to keep accountable. They're accountable to one another. And as Galatians 6.1 talks about, he, those that are spiritual, those that are in a leadership position are accountable. They're accountable to each other, and they hold the body accountable. Now, I've got this I want you to see. Look at this right here. Next slide. Leaders are not exceptions to the rules. They're examples of the rules. We've all seen it in, in years past of people who get into place of leadership in churches or ministries, and they take advantage because they, they circumvent. Listen, I was, I was with a friend once. Um, and it, 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 He's a pastor, and we pulled up to his church, another place, and he pulled into the handicapped parking space. And as we were about to get out, I said, you know you're in the handicapped parking space. And he said, I'm the pastor. I can park anywhere I want to. Let me tell you what, because he is the pastor, he cannot park Anywhere he wants to. A person who's in a place of leadership does not is not uh, exceptions to rules. They're the examples of the rules. They've got to be accountable. They've got to set the direction. And so what we see is that this general role is they... Uh, They lead by example. They set the direction. They lead by doing the ministry. They keep accountable, all of these things. Let me talk about the two offices. The two offices, of course, are elders and deacons. Let's talk about it for just a second. The elders, sometimes they're called bishops or pastors. I'll explain to them in a second. And then the word deacon means servant. Let me me tell you something. In the Bible, sometimes you'll see a term and it'll say elder. It's from a Greek word presbyteros, which means an older person. Sometimes you'll see a word overseer. It's from a Greek word episkopos, which means an... uh, Someone who is a leader, an overseer. And then you'll see the word pastor. is from a Greek word poimen, which means a shepherd. And that's used interchangeable. So in the Bible, the person who is the elder, the overseer, the bishop, the pastor, that's all the same person. And there is an office of elder. There is also a spiritual gift called pastor-teacher. I have that spiritual gift, I think. Pastor-teacher, it means elder teacher that's the idea so there's one that's a spiritual gift the other's office this passage is dealing with the office and uh, the, the passages the things that we're looking at so elders sometimes called bishops pastors deacons are called servants and there are two aspects of that whole thing. We're, we're seeing in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, there's the is, aspects of bishops, elders, pastors. And then, beginning at verse 8, he deals with deacons. Now, let me explain to you a little bit about how this fits together. Okay, let's talk about the elder first. The elder, bishop, pastor all refers to the same person. Next slide. Look at this right here. The el- the word elder, the, word, the Greek word presbyteros, you get the term Presbyterian from that. Because the Presbyterians church has an elder form of government that's why they're called presbyterians comes from the greek word presbyteros which means older mature man the next word bishop it means an overseer it comes from the word episkopos you may have heard of episcopalian that has an oversight type of, of of leadership. And so the word elder means mature. The word bishop means an overseer. And the word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen, which means to shepherd. And so when you look at the elder, older man overseeing shepherd, you'd put it this way. The next slide tells us that the elder is a mature man who oversees the body as he shepherds the flock. That's what an elder is. That's the plan. Okay. The second word is the word Deacon. We've all heard of deacons. Most of you have. In fact, when you think of the word deacon, it actually means servant. But let me give you the background of the word. Because years and years ago, the word, the person who was a deacon, was a person who waited on tables. It was like a servant in a restaurant. But, you know, in that day and time, there were tables, there were dirt floors. The word deacon literally meant the one who moves up dust. Because as they waited on people, they put stuff here and they put stuff here and they moved. And and dirt, dust would come up behind their feet. And so the word deacon originally meant one who raises dust. It then began being made known as the one who waits on the tables, and then finally later it just became the word for servant. And so the deacon is a servant. Now, some people, when they look at these responsibilities of elders and deacons, they say, well, elders do all the spiritual stuff and deacons do all the physical stuff. That's not accurate at all. In fact, when you look at the Scripture carefully, when you see the characteristics of elders and deacons, they flow together. The ministries are very similar. There are some things that they do that's a little differently, but I just want you to understand that they have to all be mature men. The offices of elders and deacons, what do they do overall? Let me give you something. The two offices of elders and deacons, what do they do? Well, next slide. They do three things as a whole. They rule. The responsibility of elders and deacons is to rule, to shepherd, to oversee, to guide, to direct. The leadership of a church has to be these men. And that's why it's based on the maturity and the godliness of the people in places of responsibility is going to determine how the church is. And that's why in 1 Peter five seventeen he talks about the elders that rule. Okay, so they rule. The second thing that they do is they shepherd the flock, which means they take care of the people. That's both elders and deacons. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathers the elders of the church of Ephesus, the same group he writes to here. And he says to them, you've you got two issues you have to always worry about. He said, you worry about, as, a, as an elder deacon, those guys, he says, number one, there are people outside the church coming in with false messages. You have to guard that. You have to be careful. And then he says, number two, you've got to be careful because there are people within the body that cause division and you have to deal with them. They shepherd the flock. They feed and teach. That's why as a pastor, my role, as it says, shepherd in the flock, my role is to teach the Bible. Because I'm feeding you the word of God. He uses these analogies like shepherd the flock. And he, he uses the pastor sometimes as, as like a, a shepherd who feeds the sheep. And that's why the role, of one of the roles of the pastor is to teach the word. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2, teach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. My role is to teach the scripture verse by verse, passage by passage, so you can know it, to feed you the word of God. It is amazing to me when I talk to people and what they go to in certain places and they get absolutely nothing. I'm saying, aren't you guys starving to death? And they are. The role of the pastor shepherd. The role of the shepherd is to feed the flock, protect the flock. The the thing the, the third thing is to guard the truth. Titus chapter one verse nine talks about guarding the truth, and and that is goes back to the scripture. It is a responsibility the elders and deacons of leadership in the church to deal with things that are not true that might be taught in the church that might be happening. They've got to guard the flock and guard the truth. Now let's talk about some things we we've looked at this let's talk about characteristics of those in leadership and i want to explain something to you we're not talking about qualifications We're talking about characteristics. Qualifications, you might say, well, there's 15 things listed here. So how many of those qualifications? Do you have to have 10 of them? Do you have to have 11 of them? Listen, we're not talking about qualifications. We're talking about characteristics. Characteristics deal with the character of the person. We're talking about the person as a whole, his character. What type of men are they to be? What are they to be like? We already know they have to be mature men. They have to be spiritual. They have to be faithful. We want to look at the characteristics. Now, let me just tell one other thing when I'm thinking about it. Do you realize there are levels in a church? First of all, there are people who do not know Christ as Savior. And then when they trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, it costs them absolutely nothing. They take the gift of eternal life. They become a believer. Now, the goal for all believers is that we become disciples. That's the next level up. That costs you your life. That's Romans 12 where you say to God, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. What's supposed to happen is we want every believer to become a disciple. But there's something else after that, and that is the whole leadership aspect, the elders and the deacons. That's a different level. Now, you may have many mature men in a church who are disciples, but not necessarily leaders, because leadership takes much more time. There are many mature men who say, I do not want to be in leadership I don't have the time. There is a great time commitment of a person who's going to be in a leadership position in a church because there's all kind of things that have to be done as you guard, as you shepherd, as you do all of those kind of things. So let me show you some things about the characteristics of those in leadership. Sometimes people get put in places of leadership for the wrong reasons. Okay? Let me explain it to you. Here's the first one. Because they give money. Okay. sometimes in local churches, people have been placed in leadership because they're big givers. And sometimes people say we better put this person as an elder or deacon because he's a big giver and we don't want them to move away. We don't want them to stop coming. We need their money. Maybe we better put them in a place of responsibility. That is a very dangerous thing to do. I want to tell you this story. It's been about 15 years ago. It was back when we were in the old building before this was ever built. I was sitting in my office one day and I hear a knock. I, we didn't have a secretary in those days. Somebody just knocked on the door. I said, yeah. And a guy came in. And I knew who he was. He lives in this town. And I knew who he was. He said, hey, K, uh, JB, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, come on in. He sits down. He said, listen, you know I go to," And he named the church. I went, yeah, I know. He said, I'm thinking really seriously about moving over to countryside. I said, we'd love to have you. He said, now, you know I'm a deacon over there. I would expect to be a deacon over here. And before I could say to him... Well, that's not how we do that. You know, if you come here, we'll look at you. We'll see how you do. We'll see if you meet the characteristics. We'll see all these things. And then maybe someday you might be placed to leadership. But before I could even say that, he said, and I give a lot of money. And I expect that when I give money, I decide how that money is spent. So what I said to him in the nicest way was, I don't think you want to come to Countryside I said, it won't match us. I said, you won't match us here. We don't do leadership that way, and we don't think about money in that same way. So sometimes people get put into leadership because they give, because they got a lot of money, and they want that power that goes with it. Number two, sometimes people get put in leadership because they're good businessmen. I mean, you ever heard somebody say, look, that guy, boy, he's got a a company, he's got this store, he's got this business downtown, boy, he knows some stuff. Let's put him in ministry, let's get him in leadership because he can help run the church. I want you to understand something, church is not a business, church is a ministry. We don't have business meetings at Countryside, we never have had one. I've been here 24 and a half years, we've never had a business meeting. We have congregational meetings, we talk about ministry. We're not coming together to talk about business, we're coming together to talk about ministry, You may even say, but doesn't the Bible say, uh, somebody said I must be about the Lord's business? No, it doesn't say that. In fact, the word business isn't even in the Scripture. It actually says I must be about the Lord's. And the implication is ministry. This is not a business. Now, there are many great businessmen who are also godly men who help in leadership. But you don't put a person in leadership just because they're a good businessman. The third thing. And I've seen this happen is because it will involve them in ministry. Sometimes people think, look, there's a good guy out there. If we make this person an elder or deacon, they'll really get fired up or they'll start serving. You do not put a person in responsibility to get them to serve. They're supposed to already be serving. It's been about oh oh I've been here a long time. It's probably been about 16, 17 years ago that one of the men in the church came up to me and said, "Jimmy, I got a couple of names I want to give you." And I said, "For what?" He says, "I think they ought to be in leadership." I said, "Okay, give me the names." And he gave them to me. And I, to be honest with you, neither one of them were serving or doing anything in the church. And I said to him, "I said, well, you know, neither one of those guys are doing anything in the church." He said, "Yeah, but if we got them involved, see, if we put them in leadership, that would get them involved in the church." And I said to him in a nice way, we don't put people in leadership to get them involved. The people in leadership are the people who are already involved. This afternoon at 3 o'clock. We're having a leadership seminar in N-117. All of the board members, all of our present elder and deacons are coming, and then those that uh, we've been at, we, I don't know if you can remember this, but the last about month and a half, two months, we've been asking you to nominate, if you wanted to, anyone from this body that you thought might be good for leadership. We had it out on the tables out there, and people's names were put there this afternoon. Not only is the board coming together, but any of those people who were nominated, we've asked them, if they're willing, to come, and we're going to go Through leadership, how we view leadership at Countryside. Some of the stuff we're talking about here, we'll talk about this afternoon. And we'll go through the whole, the ideas of what commitments, what all is necessary if a person said, I want to be in leadership. So let me say something to you. Number one, go back to that slide if you can. You don't put people in leadership because they give a lot of money, you don't put people in leadership because they're good businessmen, and you don't put people in leadership to get them to serve. People, God raises up men for leadership because they love Jesus Christ, because they serve him, and because they meet the characteristics that we talk about. It's really, really powerful. So what you want to do is look at the characteristics that are found in First Timothy uh, chapter 3. Also, uh, Titus chapter 1 deals with some of those. The, the characteristics that we're going to look at are characteristics of a mature person. So you might say this. You might say, well, I'm a woman. And, J.B., you said this is this is an elder, so this is a man. This doesn't fit me. Or you might say, I'm young. I'm a man, but I'm young. I can't be in leadership right now. What I'm trying to tell you is these characteristics that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks are characteristics of maturity. And whether you're a woman or a man, or whether you ever desire the, the idea of being in a position of leadership or not, these would be great characteristics to have in your life. And so we'll be looking at those as we go through it. Let's start, first of all, with the office of elder, okay? At the office of elder. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three big areas, okay? Okay? We're going to look at relationship, we divide it this way, relationship to self, which is the moral character and faith, relationship to family, wife, children, home, and relationship to those inside and outside the body. Those are the big three areas. You have to look at a person's life in their relationship to themselves, their, their character, their faith, are they growing, that kind of thing. You have to look at how they relate, wife, children, home, that kind of thing, and you have to look at how they relate to fellow believers, but also to those outside the body. Do you understand that if a person had a terrible reputation, in this community they could not be in a place of leadership in a local church not supposed to be because that's one of the characteristics that they have a good reputation with those outside of the body that's how it ties together now what I want to do is, uh, and we're not going to go very far at all, but what I want to do is give you two things. First of all, I want to show you the prerequisite. If any person, if any man wants to be in a place of leadership, there is a prerequisite, and that is that it is the desire to serve. Listen to this. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. Now, this is the statement that, that Paul writes. He does it five times in First Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. This means it's a trustworthy statement. It means this is something you can count on. This is information you can use. He's already said it once in his book. He said, this is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom, Paul says, among whom I am foremost. He's already said this once. It's a trustworthy statement. This is the second time he says it. He says, now, this is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, the word overseer is episcopos. It means pastor, shepherd, overseer, elder. If any man aspires to that office... It is a fine work he desires to do. Now, the very first thing is he needs to aspire to the office, which means they want the position. They want the position. The word literally means to sacrifice. The word to aspire means to reach out and to stretch yourself. That's what it means. It means that a person has to have a desire to serve. Now, I've talked to pastors, my friends, and all over places, and some some of them say something like this, J.B., I just have to beg men to take leadership. You shouldn't have to beg men to take leadership. If a person is not desiring the position and leadership, they don't need to be in that position. You don't need to go to a man and say, hey, uh, Ralph, would you just take this for the next year? We just need somebody to be on the board. That's the wrong thing. It'd be better not to have any than to have those who do not desire to be in that position. So the very first uh, big thing, the the idea there, the prerequisite, is you desire to take it. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 says, God is the one who raises up and sits down leaders. There may be many mature men who have all of the characteristics, but do not have the desire to be in a place of leadership. There are many men that I know in this church right now who I would say to you that they are very godly men. They meet all of the the characteristics that you find there, but they do not have the time right now to be in a place of leadership. Leadership is a is a is a big commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a ministry commitment. There's a lot there. So the very first one is they aspire to the office. There's one other thing and I want you to see it. It says it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work that he does. An overseer then, here it is, the first thing is they must be above. Reproach. This is the overarching characteristic of everything else you're going to find. They have to be above reproach. That means blameless. That means that there's no glaring weaknesses. That means when somebody calls out their name, you don't say, oh, that person's a cheat. That person's a liar. That person's this. That person doesn't handle his business right. That person doesn't... That's not what we're talking about. This is the kind of person that when somebody says their name, you go, oh, yeah, that's a... He's a great man. Yeah, he's a good person. Yeah, there's no glaring weaknesses. No, he's above reproach in the area of his family, and his home, and his character, and his relationships, and relationships with believers and unbelievers. That is the key thing. Now that's where we're going to stop. Next week we're going to do some special things, but we're going to be very quickly. We're going to go through these very quickly. We're going to go through these areas. Now I want to show you something because you just need to look at it. An overseer, look at verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. What does that mean? Does that mean a person can't be divorced? Does that mean they can only have one wife at a time? Does that mean they can only ever have one wife? What does this mean? We'll talk about it. And then it says temperate and prudent, and respectable and hospitable and able to teach and not addicted to wine. What does that mean? Not addicted to wine. Pugnacious, gentle, peaceful, free from the love of money. What? Well, how, how do you determine that? How do you tell that? So in the next next week or two, we're going to be going through these. We're going to go through them very quickly, and I want you to see it. But the bottom line is these are characteristics of maturity. Every one of this room can look at these characteristics and say, how do I measure up? What do I need to do? We have seen the need for leadership. We've seen the ex- they set the example, direction, vision, serve. We've seen the office of the elder and Deacon. We've seen a little bit about the characteristics and the men who desire to take that position. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Understand the great need for godly leadership in the local church. God has established the offices of elders and deacon. We realize that we must have godly men for the church to function. What do they do? They be the example. They set the direction. They do ministry. They be accountable. And we just have to understand how vital it is. If you do not have Godly men in places of leadership in the church. And I'm talking about spiritual men who are on fire, who want to grow, who want their life to count for Christ, who want to do the ministry. If you don't have that, the church will suffer. The body will suffer. If you have great men in there, the church will, will do great. Second thing, examine our own lives to see how we measure up to the marks and characteristics of maturity. Examine our own lives. We want to be men, men and women of character. We want to be mature. We want to be like Christ. So look at the different things. Even though you might say, oh, I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to be a deacon. How do we do? How do we measure up? That's very powerful. Now, let me just say this. What if, what if you're a man here and you say, I might someday want to be in a leadership position. Or I might even want to be in one now. So here's some questions for you. Why do you want the position? Do you have the time? Do you have these characteristics? Are you serving now? Key areas. Last but not least, number three. Pray that God would continue to raise up godly men to take leadership. By the grace of God, over all these years, God has always continued over the time to raise up godly men to take places of leadership. So continue to pray that God would do that, that he would raise up godly men. Because as we said, if the church is to function the way we want it to function, the way it's supposed to, to do the things that God has for us to do as a local church, we must have godly men in leadership. So pray for that. May we see the characteristics of those who are to be in leadership, and may we strive to become men and women of character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all these things, Lord. And as we look at it, Lord, we know that uh, without leadership in the local church to help set the direction and example and all those kind of things, that the church will just never do what you want it, want it to do, Lord. And so we just uh, pray that we understand that. Lord, we, we, we want to look at our own lives to see how we measure up. And that we want to be godly men and godly women having these characteristics in our lives. And for certain men, Lord, they may be asking the questions of do they have the time? Do they want the position? Do they have these characteristics? Where are they serving? All of these things. And last but not least, Lord, thank you that you've always raised up godly men over the years. Would you continue to do that, to raise up godly men to be in leadership in this local church so that we can do the things that you want us to do. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Help us to grasp them and understand them. Help us to understand biblical leadership. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.